0: when things are supposed to be fun and cheery, we're doing this book that's not considered to be fun and cheery. It's, it's considered to be a pessimistic book, kind of a downer. Um, and so there's that whole reality. But it's also tough because um, the author is, it, he almost seems like he's speaking out of both sides of his mouth and and so he at times speaks positively and then he'll speak negatively sometimes about the exact same thing so what i wanted to do as we got started this morning is just to give a little context that i hope will be helpful for reading the book of ecclesiastes so i think it's helpful to understand that as the preacher is communicating that he's communicating through two lenses okay So the two lenses that he's looking through, one of them is vanity, okay? So he looks at all of life and he just sees vanity. Everything under the sun is vanity, but then there's, on the other side, the other lens would be that of God or a divine lens. And so at one point he's saying work is meaningless. It's all vanity. There's no good to it. And then on the other hand, he's he's saying that that work is good and we're going to encounter that this morning so i think it's helpful to understand and and even as we go through uh it can be challenging like is he is he looking through the vanity lens right now is he looking through the divine lens um that can be tricky but this is an encouragement i have for you that uh, when he speaks through the vanity lens, he's saying there is nothing under the sun that will ultimately satisfy us. Nothing lasts. Our existence is cursed in every single way. And then when he sets that down and he picks up the God lens, we, we'll hear him say that uh, it's it's through God where our joy is ultimately found. His work is the work that lasts. That whatever God does endures forever that he's over everything he is sovereign that there's set times and places for everything that he is the one who ultimately makes everything beautiful that even in the midst of futility in the midst of all this vanity that we see under the sun that he can create out of vanity joy and hope and so I just encourage you guys, as we continue to trudge through this book, to kind of keep that in mind, that there's two lenses within which he's looking at the world through. Okay, so we're going to be in chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes this morning. Uh, We're going to pick it up in verse 16. So I'm going to read a couple verses, and then we'll chat about those. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness, And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. So the preacher is in the midst of this section. Uh, We're going to encounter it again next week where he's just providing example after example of how everything is vain. like The world is is filled with vanity. It is pervasive. Now, when we get to these verses here, he's going to note two unexpected places where he's seen wickedness, and and ultimately he's going to say these things, this leads to vanity as well. So he says, in the place of justice, there is wickedness, and in the place of righteousness, there is wickedness. So these aren't places you would expect to see wickedness, but he's saying, that's what I'm seen there. He he looks at these places culturally or whatever, and he says, I expect to see justice there, but what I'm seeing is injustice. So uh, Solomon uh, historically has been thought to be the author. Uh, He looks back throughout the history of Israel, and, and he could say, man, I see injustice throughout the history of our nation. One way or one place he could look is Uh, the story of Joseph. So Joseph is uh, an individual whose story is recorded in the last 13 or so chapters of the first book of the Bible, Genesis. And so Solomon could look back and say there's a ton of injustice that we see in Joseph's life. So Joseph... uh, he kind of gained the favor of his father, and his brothers didn't like that, so they spitefully sold him into slavery. And then as he's, he's kind of in slavery, he gets put in these various positions, he kind of ascends some ladders, culturally and politically. A- and he gets into good positions, but then he is um, he's unjustly imprisoned. As well, So accused of something that he didn't do and he's imprisoned. And so the preacher can look back and he can see, yeah, injustice has been the story throughout for our nation. But he could also look around in his day and, and look at judges and say, man, these are not good judges. They are judging things in wicked ways. These are people who are charged with ensuring justice is carried out throughout their culture, in their court system. But there was wickedness in the place of justice. But this wasn't just an issue in that time. This this is an issue in our time as well. It's rampant nowadays. We're not on some path where we're going to eventually find some perfect judge in the supreme court but we're just not going to find we want that we look for that and politically each side will say oh i think this is the one right but but we won't find that person who's going to be the perfect judge who is going to judge justly all the time and yet we see that there is yearning for that we want that we'd love to see that judge come but we're not going to i've thought of this reality uh, with some of the banter surrounding immigration recently, uh, where we have kind of have the previous administration and, and there's this comparison uh, to the current uh, administration comparing to the previous administration. And, and so we can look at kind of their perspectives on immigration, and, and we could say, oh, yeah, there's, there's some pretty significant differences here. But, but if you look, there's also a lot of similarities, actually in what they propose. And and so uh, despite these similarities that you'll see, though, what we find is that both sides are continuously focused on the injustice of the other. Look at all of these unjust things that they are Doing And both sides will lob bombs with this and point out the injustices that the other is doing. I think this gets illustrated with some of the rulings of the Supreme Court as well. You'll have one political side, a, a ruling will be handed down, and one political side will say, that's great, that's a, a good thing. But then a month later, another decision will be handed down, and that same side will be like, no, that that's not good. So the justices can go from being smart to dumb within the course of a month or even a day at times and so we can look at this and we can say there's injustice and I think some of us might even look at government and and politics and and we we place hope there right all of us do this maybe to some extent some of us more than others but we'll place hope in these things but ultimately what's going to happen is we get let down We get let down by government and by politics. I think you could actually say that the government is continually letting us down. They're continually letting us down. And I think it's good for us to acknowledge this reality. They cannot do for us what we ultimately need. And the reason for this is that they, nor any political party, has cornered justice. They just can't do it. Worldly justice... As we look out in our culture, worldly justice is vanity because it's unable to solve our greatest problems. It's not trustworthy. But we we don't just say this is government either, right? Like, you think about families, right? Families are intended to be places where justice is carried out. But we hear regularly of children being abused. And, and I even think of myself how I can react to my kids at times in unjust ways that I can speak in a tone that's, that's not helpful at all. I, I can project injustice towards my kids as well. So there's the, the abuse side of things, but, but there's also this reality at times as parents, we, we enable kids to act in unjust ways. We, we tell them, it's all about you. And, and it's not. And when we tell kids it's all about them, ultimately, they are going to view others as less important than them themselves, right? And so we are teaching them to live in unjust ways. Marriages are another place where they're intended to be a place where justice is cultivated, but again, we oftentimes see injustice thrive in marriages as well. So we can look out at the cultural landscape and we can see what the preacher is saying and preaching in Ecclesiastes, we can say, that's, that's our story. That's true for us as well. But then the preacher also mentions here that there's wickedness in places of righteousness. So you think, what, what are places of righteousness? Well, I think a church is a place where righteousness is intended to be found, right? But churches are very guilty of wickedness, of unrighteousness. Pastors are very guilty of this. There's cover-up of sin. There's an inability to admit wrongdoing. There's wickedness when teaching is too harsh or when teaching is too soft at times, when teaching is unbiblical. So we look out, and everywhere we see, we can say, we agree with you. Solomon. It's vanity. It's vanity. Everywhere we look, it's all vanity. But then the preacher is going to root his observation uh, with an observation he makes earlier in chapter three when he says that there's a time for everything. So this is flowing from that idea there's a time for everything. So you think about this there's a time for injustice. There is a time for injustice. When we hear that, we're like, no, that, that should not be, right? But I think we see this most pointedly in John 18, verses 38 to 40. We read there, so this is right just prior to Jesus' crucifixion. Pilate, Roman governor, says to Jesus, what is truth? And after he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in Jesus. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. So here you have Son of God guiltless never sinned and he is going to be crucified when there could be this exchange that happens this robber who clearly deserves to be imprisoned is going to get set free this is the most unjust event in the world's history any injustice we experience doesn't come close to this And as Jesus suffered injustice, as he suffers evil, what that means for us nowadays is that we can now hope that our injustices that that we experience will also be used for good, that we can trust that God can work good through the same injustices that we experience, no matter how great or how small they might be. So Solomon observed that in the place of justice— there's wickedness, right? That's what we just read in verses 16 and 17. In the place of justice, there is wickedness. Now, Jesus, who we know as the greater Solomon, okay, he is the epitome of what we see in Solomon. He comes along as both righteous and innocent. No flaw in him. And so what we find in Jesus is the inverse of Solomon's Observation. So Solomon observed that in the place of justice, there's wickedness. With Jesus, what we observe is that in the place of wickedness, there is justice, where we should not see it, where you would not expect it. In the place of wickedness, there is justice, ultimately at the cross. So because Jesus goes to the cross and he unjustly suffers, we can now endure in times and circumstances that are unjust. So it's not surprising then that we find Paul, one of the New Testament authors, writing in Romans 12 some instructions where he says to bless those who persecute you. Who does that? right? Bless those who persecute you. He also says repay no one evil for evil. He says, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And I think Solomon is whispering these New Testament truths as he says, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. God will judge. He will set things right. And I think there's a number of implications to believing that God will right all wrong. So, first of all, when we understand that there's a season for everything, so anything that we encounter, that there's a season for that, injustice is not just a meaningless event that we put up with. God is working good in the midst of injustice we can go back to the story of Joseph, okay? So Joseph was unjustly treated by his brothers. He was unjustly treated by others, but his story is such that he ends up being second in command in the nation of Egypt, and he plays a vital role in saving many, many people from death because in that time there was a massive famine that was occurring. And so people were running out of food. But Joseph had been gifted wisdom, and he was prepared for this. He had been preparing this for years. And so people started coming to him and to buy food from him, and he was able to help save many people because of this. And included in those coming to him were his brothers. And we read at the end of Genesis, as he has kind of revealed himself to his brothers, he says to them, What you intended for evil, God meant for good. What Joseph's brothers intended for injustice, God meant for good. There was purpose in those injustices that Joseph was experiencing. And and because of this reality that God then is going to make things right. He's going to set wrong things right. We don't need to seek vengeance. We are able, as we look at Jesus and we see how he absorbs the sting of injustice, we then are able and empowered to be able to absorb the sting of injustice in our lives. And I'm not mitigating or minimizing the sting. The sting stings. It hurts, for sure. But we don't need to return the sting and related to this there's a ton of peace that god gifts to his people amidst the pain of injustice so we don't need to spend our lives seeking to repay evil and and even for us to do this we should acknowledge it is an exhausting endeavor for us to try and repay people people for what they have done for us and and probably we'll we'll find out that we're not that great of warlords We're not that good of repaying evil for evil. But even if we do that, like we feel like we've really stuck it to a person, we really don't have people we can share that with, right? Like who wants to say, oh, you should have seen how I really stuck it to this person. Like we're not going to gather a group and celebrate that, right? We will be frustrated by the vanity of repaying evil To others and then third because of this promise that god will set wrong things right we can have hope in all things at all times no matter how dire the circumstances we can have hope that peace and joy can be pervasive at times when it makes no sense to other people, like what, why do you have joy in the midst of that trial? Well, it's because we're able to look at Jesus and see who He is and what He has done for us. So let let me state just a quick qualifier here about injustice. I'm not saying it's wrong to seek change where injustice exists. it's a good thing to work towards justice. It's a great way for us to uh, live on mission, for us to love our neighbors. When we see a place where there is injustice, to then seek to work towards injustice. But but where I want to qualify that statement is changing social structures is a temporary, limited change. Okay, so ultimately that's not the battle that we're fighting, okay? The war that we want to fight is for people to be able to live in such a way when they encounter injustice that they have sturdiness in the midst of that. And and that sturdiness doesn't come from changed circumstances because the reality is if a law is changed, if a circumstance is changed and that's all it's based on, then what happens is they can still live in fear, What if a new administration comes? What if that law changes again? It can just be flipped on its head again. There needs to be something more robust than a changed law. So I say, work towards implementing justice where you see injustice. But ultimately, what we want to do is we want to give people an anchor. And that anchor is the gospel, the good news of Jesus. People need a greater hope than just changing circumstances okay verse 18 i said in my heart with regard to the children of man that god is testing them that they may see that they themselves are but beasts for what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same as one dies so dies the other They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beasts, for all is vanity. All go to one place, all are from the dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot." Who can bring him to see what will be after him? So this author is Solomon. Solomon's probably nearing the end of his life and and very likely thinking about death. Kind of hears the footsteps of death creeping in on him. It's coming for him. And, And he's observing here that what happens when we die when humanity dies is the same thing that happens when animals die animals and humans are alike in that they both live and they both die Uh, except my kids were telling me there's a jellyfish that uh, does not die unless it's like killed but when it's injured or uh, it's sick it returns to a younger state. Have you guys heard heard about this little jellyfish? And and so it kind of goes back to a younger state of its life, and then will start growing again. And I I think about I was thinking about this. I'm like, how if I know humanity, and I I know like how many dumb things we do when we're young. And I look at my kids. I had a, a college roommate who told me, "You're you're like an accident waiting to happen" because I got injured quite a bit in college basketball. And, uh, and I look at my kids, and they keep having these just ridiculous injuries happening to them. And, and, it, and then I think of this jellyfish. I'm like, how are there ever any adults in, in that animal group, right? Like, if they just keep going back to a younger state, how do they ever get through, like, the teenage years or those childhood years, right? Like, I would just think they just stay as a child the whole time because they can't make good enough decisions. But anyways... Solomon, he's making this obs- observation and, and he's looking at and he's saying, So there's people who've gone through life and they have laughed a ton. And they're gonna lay right next to somebody who is severely depressed for much of their life. There's people who drink excessively, and they're gonna lay next to somebody who was a teetotaler, someone who never drank alcohol. And he's observing in this sense, we're no better than beasts or animals. We're going to end up in the same spot. Dan used a phrase last week when he was preaching. Uh, He said, Death is the great equalizer. Death is the great equalizer. We all return to dust. And the preacher is saying, It's vanity. This is all vanity. Everywhere I look, it's vanity. And then he asks this question in verse 21. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth? Now, uh, if Solomon is the author here, Solomon was regarded as the wisest man in the world at this time. Okay? So we, we can read this question and it might make some of us think, well, that, that kind of makes Solomon look unwise. Right but he he didn 't have the same benefit that we have of Jesus of the progressive revelation that as God continually reveals himself throughout scripture, we the story becomes m- more full orbed we, we see more, we understand more, A- and so we understand, as it says in hebrews four, that that we 're all going to die and, and we 're all going to face judgment, so we we get that, but he didn 't have that same Advantage. But at the same time, his question seems to assume some knowledge of this. Like, will we go up? Will we go down? But he lacks clarity on many of the specific details here. So the sting of death, the, the pain of death, as he observes, there's death all around. I think as we look at that from our vantage point, as we see death, it it should move us to something better. It should move us to something better. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. So what sin produces is death. And when we see death, it should make us turn to God. So uh, when we go to a funeral, it should cause us to turn to God. When we're driving down the road and we see roadkill, it should cause us to turn to God. When we're watching the news and we hear about tragedy that results in death, it should cause us to turn towards God. When, when we go through the seasons here in Minnesota and we see leaves die, we see plants die, we should be reminded This is not the way things were intended to be. Things are not right. This is the result of sin. And when we think of turning to something better, what we should think of is Jesus, the one who said, I am life. I am life. So we turn from death, and we turn towards Jesus. And then the preacher has this conclusion in verse 22. He says, So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. There's a subtle movement happening here. We could say throughout Ecclesiastes, but even in chapter 3 here, there's this subtle movement happening from vanity to meaning he he sees all this vanity but then he's he's also seeing at times that there's meaning as well so solomon saw vain corruption everywhere even in the places that we mentioned the place of justice the place of righteousness he's seen wickedness so the preacher speaks here of his work being his lot a lot being this is what God has given to him, okay? So last week, we looked at, a, there's a couple of verses, verses 12 and 13. Solomon speaks of finding joy in one's work. And he says there that this is God's gift to man. And, and he's speaking from experience here, okay? He is the smartest man in the world who has worked really hard throughout his life, and he realized that he gained joy nothing at all but here he is saying receive god's gift that this is god's gift to man this is the lot so receive it so there's a movement here from vanity towards gift there's a movement here from doing to receiving And, and if we think about old testament new New testament there's a movement here from works to grace now the whole grace aspect is not fleshed out here but there's this movement that's happening and and when we see this movement this movement should point us towards jesus life is not about our work it's about jesus Work. Life is not about what we do, it's about what Jesus has done. So, receive the gifts that He has given to us, receive the grace that He extends to us, receive the freedom that He affords to us. So, grace isn't earned, it's received. It's a gift. That's what's implied with a gift, it's something that is received. So when Paul says in the New Testament, in Colossians 3.23, he says, whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men. He's not encouraging, earning something from God. He's not saying work really hard so that God will like you. God will look kindly at you. What he's saying there is that, We work hard because we've already received this amazing gift, this gift that nothing else compares to it. Nothing else compares to grace. It is the greatest thing in this world. You won't find a better gift. And he's saying because you've received that, because God gave that undeserved, unearned gift to you, work hard so that other people will see it, and they'll want that. They'll be drawn into that the reality is because we are still legalistic law-based people we still think conscious or unconsciously man i've got to do this or god's going to put a red check at the end of my name do you ever feel that do you ever find yourself feeling like you need to add to what jesus has done That your approval in God's eyes depends on you doing this list of seven things every day or every week. That is a cursed way to live because you can never do enough. It's a damning pressure to put that on yourselves. Don't put that vain pressure on yourself. Receive this gift of grace in its many and varied forms and then rejoice rejoice in what god has given to you rejoice in the fact that he creates meaning where there is no meaning he creates purpose where there is no purpose okay so i think we can summarize ecclesiastes in three statements, everything that we've talked about thus far. And those three statements would be, without God, all things are vain. Without God, all things are vain. With God, all things have meaning. With God, all things have meaning. And then lastly, so enjoy what God has given. Enjoy what he has given to you. So I want to close with just a few points of gospel application for us this morning. First of all, injustice and death should remind us of the curse in this world. We talked earlier, sin and and its destruction is pervasive and horrific. And, And I should qualify this, when I'm thinking of injustice, we should start with ourselves. Because it's so easy to look out there and see all the injustices going on out there and how we're not like that or the injustices that are happening to us. But my encouragement is, is that we would be aware of, that we would consider the injustices that we are creating for other people. Start in your own heart. And in this, we need to see and to feel the vanity of this world i said in our first sermon that that we need to sit in the vanity not too long but not too short either we need to feel this and and then as we sit in this we feel the dread the the vanity of this world it should also move us to hope for judgment because in this we know that god will set things right He's going to make the crooked things straight. He's going to make the meaningless things take on meaning. Ultimately, injustice and death should move us to the cross. I I talk somewhat regularly about this idea of having this well-worn path to the cross in your life. We should have this well-worn path to the cross. We should continually be going there, letting that shape and inform all of who we are. This is the most unjust event in the world, and it ends with God's son, sinless son, dying an undeserved death. And why? So that purveyors of injustice who are spiritually dead, purveyors of injustice who are spiritually dead, like you and I, that we can be set free from the power of sin. And and not just set free from the power of sin then that we can be purveyors of life purveyors of justice in the various spheres of influence we inhabit secondly receive what comes your way receive what comes your way so i think it's easy to to say yes i'm all on board when we're talking about god's grace here right like i want that i'm in I'll receive that. But it's inconsistent to say we've received God's grace but then to complain about other lots given to us. Whatever that lot might be, maybe it's a child who asks lots of questions. Maybe it's a slow driver in the left lane or or it's red lights that you continually hit. Maybe it's a coworker's annoying habits. Maybe it's chronic health issues. Maybe it's this reality that you feel like you have to give more than others or serve more than others. Your lifestyle of receiving what comes your way will reflect how much you understand the gospel. Are you, in those moments when you feel like injustice is happening to you are you able to remain joyful are you re- able to remain hope-filled are you able to be filled with peace our ability to continually receive what comes our way in a manner that will allow others to see the beauty of the gospel is dependent on our understanding of the gospel. So so I'm not saying just endure better, just just work harder. No, this this has to come back. If you really struggle with like I hate it when injustice happens to me and, and it's okay to hate that those circumstances or whatever. It's okay, but but when that happens if you feel like oh man, I just I need to buckle down i need to do better with this no that's not the answer the answer is why why can i not be filled with joy or peace or hope right now what am i not believing about the gospel what am i not understanding about this gift of grace that he's given to me god is sovereign he promises to make things right So, our call is to trust Him to do this. To trust Him to do what He has promised to do. Our job is not to repay evil or to exact vengeance. Our job is to trust, to believe the gospel. And then, lastly, as we receive what comes our way, to let grace, our belief of the gospel, result in joy, rejoicing in what God has given to us. Ultimately, grace, okay, that needs to be primary. Freedom from sin, forgiveness of sin that needs to be primary. We rejoice in that. We rejoice in that by working hard, and and when I say working hard, it's not a call to the American dream, right, because that's fleeting. It's a call to Enjoy the work that God's given to you. Enjoy good drink. Enjoy family and friends. Enjoy a vacation. Enjoy the church that he has put you in. The reality is, God desires your joy more than you do. And so the way in which we are able to, to have this robust joy throughout all of life is that we're continually going to Him, believing the gospel, trusting in Him. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for these reminders that we're able to get through this book that was written so long ago, and that at times can seem so pessimistic, and at times... um, can be so confusing and yet because of the fact that you are sovereign that you're over all of this over in fact even of arranging your word that that we're able to see how the vanity of this world pushes us pulls us to something better and that something better has been provided by you as well and it's jesus so i pray that you would help us to see jesus To see Jesus for who he is. To treasure him more and more. That our lives would be captivated by him. That the gospel would be the primary shaping influence of everything that we are. The most specific things of our lives. How how we arrange our calendar would be shaped by the gospel. So, God, would you have your way in us as individuals and as a corporate church for your glory and for our joy? In your great name, I pray. Amen. Once you guys stand with us, we're going to sing a number of songs of response. During this time, you can, si- you can respond in singing, but we also invite you uh, to respond by observing the Lord's Supper. If, if Jesus to you is Lord, He's over your life. He's the ruler, he's the king, and he's savior. You look at Jesus and you say, that is how I'm saved from my sins. My forgiveness of sins is found in him. Then we want to invite you to participate in observing the Lord's Supper in the back.